You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night. It is August 13th, the year of our Lord, 2020. What a concept on the air right here at the top of the hour. Just like the good old days, Colin. Remember when we used to do this? Yeah, the uh, Sunday night show was a disaster. We've apologized for it. I've explained myself. And if you want a really in-depth explainer, go listen to this week's edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. And that is the last time we will ever talk about the Sunday night edition of Late Kick. We do have, hopefully, a very clean version of the show for you tonight. I'm going to deliver as best I can the very latest intel, whispers, etc. that we've been hearing about the college football season. I think we probably have hit a pause button for just a second, so we had a lot of craziness Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Well, now maybe a little bit of a reprieve, and then we'll probably have a second edition of Roller Coaster Hills coming up. We are also going to talk about something that I have to talk about, the future of college football, and then also something that I have to talk about because you have essentially forced me to. Uh, I see George is in here with that little Gator logo next to his name. Appropriate because we got to talk about Florida tonight. You know, I have sat behind this microphone and a number of times in very forceful manners, I have said, Florida's got to pick it up in recruiting. Like they're good, but they got to pick it up in recruiting or how am I going to expect them to win an SEC championship? Well, between then and now, Florida's kind of, well, I don't know, picked it up in recruiting. All that, plus some questions that may or may not be moot by season's end. How should the college football playoff happen? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of hit a pause button and let's just assume for the sake of the argument that we'll have towards the end of the show that the remaining three, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, we're going to talk about all that in a second. Let's just say they get through a season. How should you handle a college football playoff absent two of the Power Five conferences? We'll talk about all that. So let's dive into it. This stuff changes by the minute, but the very latest intel that we have in the world of college football right now, this is certainly not a recap show. This is Late Kick Live. It is Thursday night. It is August 13th, and right now it is 7.03 p.m. Central Standard Time. By the time we go off the air, maybe things change. I don't think they will, but we're not going to recap what's happened this week. I think anyone who knows how to find this show probably understands what all's happened this week. Big Ten, postpone the season. You could insert the word cancel if you want to. That's kind of what I've chosen to do. The Pac-12 like a child whose father yells across the playground, it's time to go home, follows the Big Ten. They also have postponed their season. And so now we have the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC for now saying, hey, we're in this. And our thus far, our medical advisory folks have not told us that we need to cancel the season. And so until they do, we're going to soldier on. So two out, three still in. I expect it to remain that way for a little while. And we'll have a couple of more hurdles. I'm going to talk about both those in just a second. You guys know, I don't know how much you were able to hear Sunday night when we discussed it, so I'll kind of reiterate, I've been talking since May about that old 595 rule. I've talked about it so much, I'm tired of listening to me talk about it, so I'm not really going to go down this road a whole lot, 
But I will say this, for everyone who listened to that and everyone who were, was tweeting me about it over and over again over the last several months, this was it. This was not just some fancy little saying that we wanted to take as our own. The 595 rule was on full display. The 595 rule is quite simply this. It was readily apparent to anyone who's been paying attention to this nonsense that in a lot of corners of the country, there were precious few people that were either equipped or willing to take stands and make decisions who were unfortunately in the positions that leaders are normally in. The 5% were willing, the 95% were willing to sit back and wait on someone else to make a move. And how do you know that? Well, take a look at how things unfolded. I think a lot of people in the Big Ten were rubbed the wrong way, not just because their season got postponed well before you probably need to make a call on it. Listen, if, if they had given you guidance this entire time, it's just very doubtful we're going to have a season. And then Kevin Warren and everyone had walked together to a podium in lockstep, arms crossed, well, I guess six feet apart, given the current set of circumstances. And they were to have told you, we just can't get it done. That's why we didn't release a schedule to you. We can't get it done. It would have been one thing. But alas, that's not how things went down. And so what ended up happening, and a perfect illustration of the kind of garbage that can end up occurring when you have the 595 rule in effect, is you could have a conference, you could have a league office, you could have a conference network. Not only release and promote the release of a schedule, you can have that same conference six days later, not even a full calendar week, look you in the eye, and not only postpone that season that they released a schedule for, but in their own words, folks, tell you that it was abundantly clear, quote unquote, that they needed to make that move. That is the 595 rule. There were three conferences still out there that were wise enough to think independently. And that got us over really the first hurdle, because if you think about this, what we have discussed a lot, especially over the past month, as you start to get closer to a decision date was, is it going to be one domino equals five dominoes on the power five level? Or are these conferences going to make their own decisions? Now, it was pretty widely assumed, and it came to fruition that this was the case, that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were going to be one and the same. And that's happened. The big question mark was, okay, well, if two of those go down, I mean, are the other three just inevitably going to follow? Not yet. And I do believe that while it is certainly a possibility that ultimately no one plays college football this year, I don't think those decisions will have been linked nearly as much as we previously thought they may be. So the first hurdle we have an answer to. It is not one domino falls, they all fall. Now, over the last couple of days, what have we been hearing? The very latest, at least from our end, is this. Those final three, the final SEC, ACC, Big 12, the final ones standing here, they are very committed to playing a season. They are conscious of the fact that we got to continuously update our data and intel, and we got to listen to the proper experts in the room, but they are very, very committed to playing, and there is legitimate optimism in those circles. A lot of folks out there, I think, are still of the opinion, and you may well end up being right. I'm on the fence here, but I'm telling you, a lot of you are of the opinion that two of them already canceled. It's only a matter of time till the other three do. Like I said, may end up happening. What I can tell you right now, again, it is August 13th. What I can tell you is on August 13th, there is optimism that they're going to get a season off the ground. Getting it off the ground and getting it back on the ground, two different things. But they really do believe they're going to be able to get it off the ground. Now, here is the other underlying factor that 
you know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't even say it's underlying anymore. I'd say it's right there on the surface. When all this started going down, when the Big Ten announced their postponement, I tweeted out several things. But one thing that a lot of you saw me tweet out is the big question now is how many dance partners does the SEC think they need? Because I can tell you this, I don't see any world, nor does Greg Sankey, and he's gone on record as saying this, where the SEC just plays on an island. That's not happening. It may sound cool, but it's not practical. My question has been and continues to be, do they think they need one other dance partner? By dance partner, I mean other conference playing football simultaneously. Or do they need two of them? Right now, they got two of them. And there's been this talking point out there that's gotten kind of popularized, and I don't know how accurate it is, but it's gotten kind of popularized that the Big 12 holds all the cards right now. And if the Big 12 bows out, then the other two are going to have no choice but to bow out. Now, that could be one of those things that since there is precious little legitimate information out there, when someone says something, everyone just kind of latches on to it. That could be the case, or it could be that it's perfectly valid that the SEC and the ACC are depending on the Big 12 to stay in this thing, and if they don't stay in this thing, then the other two will quickly fold up shop as well. Here is the best guidance that we have. There's been the L word out there the whole time. Anyone in any group that you have spoken about this subject to, they have tried to use the word liability. You know, they, they want you to know that you're thinking right here. They're thinking just a little bit higher than you are. They actually know legalese terminology. So liability, what are we talking about here? Well, essentially, you being on the hook for something terrible that happens. And that is a very obvious, legitimate fear of any kind of athletic department or program or conference. Yes, all of that's on the table. How in the world does it intertwine with the SEC needing the Big 12 and the ACC needing the SEC and likewise? Well, here's how. We were uh, privy to some information about how this all would work. You know, how does liability work? If that's your worst fear and then your worst fears are realized, some people postpone their seasons, you go ahead and play your seasons, and then the worst it happens and you have a COVID outbreak and kids have permanent damage because of it. Like that's clearly worst of worst case and you're on the hook for liability. Well, how does that really intertwine with how many conferences are playing? Well, the best information and intel that we could get is liability, it goes a long way in determining one way or the other based on whether you are maintaining the industry standard or not. You're conforming, let's say, to the industry standard. And now, once I tell you that, now you understand why it becomes a lot more important for as many players to be at the table as possible. Conferences, when I say players. If you've got the SEC, for example, and the worst were to happen, and they were to be sitting in a courtroom several years later, and you're talking about liability, if you had the Big 12 playing, and you had the ACC playing, you had several G5s playing, then you could reasonably say, we were maintaining the industry standard. We weren't the only ones out there playing, so certainly we were right in line with what the industry standard still was at the time. However, if you were the only game in town, and everyone else had closed up shop and you weren't, you understand that you'd probably get laughed at by anyone wearing a black robe. So what's the next step here? The next step is camps and classes. Those are the big C's right now, the two C's. Camps are opening all across the country, and classes are opening all across the country. Now, let me go ahead and spoil the ending for you here. 
there are going to be cases of outbreaks. There, it's, I think it's all but inevitable that that's going to happen. I'm not necessarily even talking about in a locker room or in a team, but you're eventually going to wake up and look through one groggy eye at that iPhone. One of these mornings coming up, and you're going to see a dozen, two dozen, three dozen students at fill-in-the-blank university have tested positive for COVID. I know there have been some of those headlines out there today. My point is, that's coming. How big is it? To what degree is it uh, managed? And secondly, does it impact the football program on said campus? And thirdly, are people prepared for it in the decision-making circles with college football? I think they are. I think with the SEC, Big 12, and ACC, I, I think the minds in those rooms are wise enough to understand we're not getting through this unscathed. There are going to be hiccups here. How do we deal with them? How do we overcome them? Because you can't come all this way and then say, okay, but the first sign of trouble, after all these months and after all these protocols that have been put in place, you know, if we have a six-hour period of some bad news that comes out, we'll just scrap it. I don't think that's going to be the approach. If you've stood this long, I think you're probably going to try and stand a little bit longer and be smart about it and weather the storm. But let me tell you what my biggest what if is. And I kind of said this the other night. I've, I've really kind of said this about the past month. Where everyone else has been thinking about worst case, you know, like if you are the Big Ten and you postpone and then some others don't, all you're thinking is, oh, you'll be sorry because, I mean, you know, we have taken precaution. You didn't. What happens if on your watch, if you're Greg Sankey, you know, if on your SEC watch, you have some breakouts and, and you have uh, some, some bad things happen and that's naturally where the mind goes. And I understand that. But could I please present this alternative hypothetical that we may or may not see play out one way or the other. If, let's say, the season does get off the ground and there is a lot of fighting behind the scenes, trust me, there's a lot of fighting by those who have already canceled their seasons to pressure the others to cancel their season too because they don't want the possibility of what I'm about to say happening. The last thing in this world that Big Ten presidents and chancellors and athletic directors and conference commissioners of the Pac-12 and Big Ten, the last thing in the world they want is to have postponed their season and then us be sitting here in the third week of October, first week in November, and the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 are still playing football. And they've had some hiccups, but largely it turns out the protocols that they had in place the whole time worked. And as it turns out, you probably didn't need to postpone your season. You voluntarily did. If you think people are mad right now, and believe me, they are, what happens when your fan bases and your administrations, especially the ones who weren't on board with this decision to begin with, your head coaches, your coaching staffs, what happens when they've got their feet propped up on Saturday having to watch Alabama play against LSU, having to watch Texas play against Oklahoma, and you aren't doing anything? And as it turns out, what was told to us at one time to be abundantly clear ended up being anything but. So those are just some things to think about. That's where we are right now, and we try and bring you as much up-to-date, but also sourced, logic-based information as we can, which means there are a lot of whispers out there that we don't address on this program, at least. All right, so I, I was looking the other day at our, our homepage for 247sports.com because I am in our Slack rooms. Most of you know what Slack is. If you don't, it's just a, basically a way to communicate with your entire company. 
and a lot of, a lot of little individual chat rooms on there. So, you know, we have one for recruiting. We have one for podcasting. We have the national channels. We have team channels. Anything and everything you could ever want. I'm not giving you the password, though, but just know they exist. And so in our editorial meeting the other day and then subsequently in that chat room, I saw our Chris Hummer, who's done a lot of really good work lately. I saw him throwing together some things to watch for in the future of college football, the immediate and then midterm future of college football. And I said, that looks like it's going to be pretty good. Let me remember that and come back when he actually publishes it. So I did. He published it. I think even right now it's still on the front page. If it's not, you can find it if you scroll down. But uh, on the uh, front page there of 247sports.com, Chris Hummer did a really good job. And it came at this from a lot of different angles. Like I told you, I know the lower third really says rapid reaction, but we're kind of reacting to what this is going to do in the future. Anyone can sit here and just talk about how they can't believe what's happened so far. I think you come to this program for a little more than that. So let's avoid the emotion. And let's dive a little bit deeper here, as Chris Hummer did. And I wanted to kind of read some some of the highlights that I took away from this and then dive into it a little bit further. The first question that I think is on a lot of minds right now, including the ones watching this show, is playing in the spring, which, you know, the Big Ten says they're going to try and do, Pac-12 says they're going to try and do. How feasible is that? I've done radio hits in... uh, four or five time zones the last two days. I was on in Honolulu for the first time. I didn't tell you that, Colin. Charleston to Honolulu yesterday, a lot of places today, and everyone wants to know the same thing. Could they really play in spring? Well, I guess they could, but as optimistic as I have been and and try to continue to be about having football in the fall, I am that much more cynical and jaded towards the concept of spring football. And I'm going to tell you why. Well, I think the reasons are obvious, but let me give you an additional reason why. I couldn't care less how forceful the language has been from the Big Ten. I don't care how resolved they seem to this concept. This is, again, the same league office who delivered me a schedule and then postponed their season six days later. So if they're able to turn on that short a dime, then imagine what they could do with five months to go until it's time to really do anything. So I really don't think that we're going to see it. And I don't even believe that a lot of folks who are pitching the ideas believe that we're going to see it. I guess we could see it selfishly. Of course, I'll be rooting for it to happen. Now, don't think for a second I don't want to see it happen. I'm not one of these folks out there that you're ever going to accuse of rooting against the season happen. I can assure you of that. But I think there are many reasons to be less than optimistic about that. Having said that, What in the world does it do to the 2021 fall season if you do have a spring season? This is where things could become a mess. Let me give you actually several ways here that I'm going to talk about where things could get a whole lot muddier and sticky even than they already are. If you have three Power Five conferences, let's say, that go ahead and get a fall season in, and then you've got two Power Fives, who, or just even one of them, who attempt to and successfully do pull off a spring season What does fall of 2021 look like? Because I can tell you confidently, the ACC, if they get an entire fall season in right now, are going to be business as usual for the entirety of 2021, up to and including the regular season. But if the Big Ten ends up playing spring ball, first off, they're not going to play 12 games in the spring. And I can also assure you, they're not going to play a full 12-game season in the fall. And so if we were to hit the fast-forward button a year from now, hopefully virus talk is a thing of the past, probably still cognizant of it, but hopefully it's a little bit more in our rear view to where it's not impacting the season happening or not. You're going to have some folks sitting there on the bench saying, 
uh, we didn't postpone our season last year. We got an entire season in. We're going to play our full 12 games. And then you may have some other folks in there saying, we're going to play nine or 10 of them maybe. And then you're going to have the natural question, which we may very well be sitting at this desk asking this next year, how do you marry up some teams from conferences that only play nine or 10 games with teams from other conferences that play 12 games? Um, If you don't put yourself in that vulnerable position to lose games as much as some of these other teams are, how do we equally weigh that? You know, how does the college football playoff and the bowl picture, how does that work in 2021? Very interesting to note. Also, your scholarship limits are going to have to be changed. You've got an 85-25 right now. You've got an 85-man scholarship limit, and then you got the 25 per year that you can sign. And there's some ways to slightly fudge these numbers, but those are the pretty hard and stone written numbers right now. Well, if you have a spring season, and you also maintain the eligibility for guys that wanted to opt out and all that, then you certainly, when accounting for early enrollees too, you're going to have to extend the 85-man scholarship limit for anyone who's playing spring football. And when I say spring ball, I mean an actual football season in the spring. So if eligibility is extended for people who opt out, meaning they're still eligible a year longer than you thought they were going to be. And if your early enrollees are on campus by the time your season starts, which they would be if you had a spring season, are you going to extend your scholarship limits to 110? Is that how that's going to happen? And that would last into the fall. And let me tell you where it really gets muddy. No one cares about it in the spring. But Chris Hummer makes a good point in this piece here. Auburn is supposed to play Penn State next year. That's one to look forward to. Do you honestly think that the SEC league office, or Gus Malzahn, is going to look at his 85-man roster and just be ready, willing, and able to play against teams with 110-man rosters and have no problem with that? If you do, then that makes one of us, because I really don't think that. Speaking of early enrollees, there is potentially a massive loophole here that you could take advantage of if you do end up playing spring football. Uh, I want you to just think about this. It's very simple to understand. If you are James Franklin at Penn State, if you're, if you're Ryan Day, if you're Jim Harbaugh, and you've got a situation where your season doesn't start until January, let's say, you could have two years that you get from a player, two seasons that you get from a player using up one year of eligibility, if that is indeed the way that works. Because um, you arrive especially if you arrive in January. You know, we can kind of compound matters a little bit more here. What if I arrive in January as an early enrollee, and I'm a five-star kid. You know, I'm a kid who is ready to contribute. Well, normally what you're looking at is for these teams who are going to play for a national championship, their early enrollees arrive and they participate in playoff practice and national championship practice. They're not going to play in the game, but it's just a nice way to get them a little bit of early acclimation to the way that things work in that program. Well, if you're having a spring season, your early enrollees, theoretically, are going to be able to arrive on campus and be eligible to play the entire season. Never seen that before. And then the last one, which is kind of a morbid way to end this whole thing, is surviving the financial impact. There is no easy way to answer this. A lot of programs aren't going to be able to. I'm not just talking about football. I mean, athletic departments, a lot of them are going to have to close the doors. You got the Pac-12 openly talking about bailouts and loans and leveraging their future TV deal as collateral to take out loans and whatnot. But there's no easy way to answer that. I mean, unless you have some very philanthropic billionaires who just decide to come to the table and say, 
I think we're going to rename the Sunbelt Conference after me in exchange for me bailing you guys out. I don't really know how that's going to work, but I don't know how many futures are going to be affected because we really still ultimately don't know how this season even plays out. Kind of fascinating, kind of sad, kind of interesting. Wish we could fast forward 10 years and just be reading the history book on it, though. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get it down to some more nuanced matters here, shall we? Um, how long has it been, Colin? It's probably been about two months, about a month and a half, two months, since we took kind of a, an interest in Florida recruiting, and not just the University of Florida. We're about to talk about them, but the recruiting situation in the state of Florida, I think, has had ripple effect and continues to do that impacts the entire sport. So even if you're a Michigan fan right now watching, a Texas fan, if you're an Arkansas fan, I think this impacts all of you. I normally talk about topics on this particular show that impact uh, the broadest majority of the audience for obvious reasons. So I want you to just kind of walk along with me here. The general thinking has been the inability for any of the big three in the state of Florida, Miami, FSU, and uh, Florida, all due respect to Central Florida, the big three remain the big three in the state of Florida, and their inability to stop the bleeding of their own high school talent from leaving and going to Tuscaloosa and Clemson and Columbus, Ohio, has had a big impact in the world of college football. Because not only is that making you inept on a national level, and has been for a while, Florida has been better on the field than the other two significantly. I'm not saying they haven't, but they also haven't been in national championship contention. And the other two, obviously, have been nothing to write home about. Not only has that happened, but places like Clemson, I mean, they have loaded up. Places like Alabama, they've loaded up rosters with talent from Florida and won championships. How much would the sports course be reversed if some of that talent stayed home? How much more parity would you have in the Atlantic Coast Conference, let's say, if Florida State and or Miami were to have gotten their collective recruiting efforts together for a few years and been able to challenge Clemson? Don't know. Don't know the answers to all these things. They're rhetorical. But anyway, that's just to briefly recap the thoughts that we've had here. And now we move forward a little bit because I think it's just been a golden opportunity unrealized for the University of Florida. Because the other two don't have something that Florida has. Florida has had the ability to walk in living rooms and say, I'm a proven head coach, if I'm Dan Mullen. And number two, we're winning already. We're good already. We're not trying to recover from a disastrous six and seven back-to-back campaign run. We've been in New Year's six games the last two years. 
And you need to realize that opportunity because eventually, if you don't, someone else will. So that's been my thinking with Florida. I don't think that's even all that out of line with the way a lot of Florida fans think. Fast forward to five days ago. Five days ago, I was very busy. I was working on a show, and I was simultaneously doing like five other things. And I looked down at my phone, and I, it may have been Wolfong. Somebody texted me and said, Jason Marshall to Florida. And I looked at it. I get a lot of texts per day and a lot of alerts and stuff like right now, even just from this show, my phone's blown up. So I looked at it, but I didn't see it, if that makes any sense. I glanced at it, but I didn't really know what I looked at. Fast forward two hours later, and I get uh, another text said, can you believe what Florida pulled off? And I said, what are they talking about? What are they talking about? Oh, wait a second. Let me go back and look at that text. And I go back and look at the text. And there it is. Sure enough, Jason Marshall, five-star corner, by the way, out of South Florida. We've been talking about him for quite a while, but we've been talking about him in the context of Alabama leading for him, Miami looking like they were surging maybe to the forefront for him. We had not talked about the University of Florida all that much, nor had anyone else. This was a genuine shocker for a lot of people, myself included, and it just didn't register at the moment when I looked at my phone. So You know, I thought, well, it must be a 2022 kid because it was so out of the realm of possibility to me that this was happening on this day, but it ended up happening. If you suggested to me that this is the biggest or at the very least, one of the biggest commits that Dan Mullins had in his time at Florida, I'm certainly not going to argue with you. It was Miami. It was Bama. We thought he silently committed to Miami last week and boom. He's committed to Florida. So uh, let's get rid of the whole prerequisite here. Yes, it's a verbal commitment. Yes, anything could change with any verbal commitment. So, okay, now that we got all that out of the way, let's talk about this. Because this was a golden opportunity for Miami. Make no mistake, they had already landed the verbal commitment of James Williams, and they had already landed the verbal commitment of Leonard Taylor, a couple of more five-star products out of South Florida. And if they were about to make a move for Marshall, it was going to be a really big deal. And instead, Florida swoops in. And so you're sitting around, and if you're, if you're a fan of Florida football, the state of Florida, Florida high school football, and you've been following, for instance, the recruiting scene down there, you know about all these kids from Palmetto down there, the Palmetto Five, as they call them. A lot of, they're loaded this year. That high school program is loaded this year. Not the first time, probably won't be the last. Next day, they land Marshall, does Florida. Next day, there's another alert. Corey Collier. Now, this was a scheduled uh, commitment, but Corey Collier, four-star safety out of the aforementioned Paul Meadow Five, also commits to University of Florida. That's another top 100 kid. That's a high four-star safety. And all of a sudden, you're looking around and saying, wait a second. It seems like we've been talking for months about Dan Mullen and company and Dan Mullen in Florida needing some kind of spark. And they got it yesterday. And now, well, this is back-to-back. I, in some worlds, they would even call this a hot streak. They would call them dominoes falling. And so I knew what was coming before I even opened the Twitter DMs or the email inbox, but I did it anyway. And I had, I would safely say, several dozen messages that in some shape, form, or fashion, sometimes in all caps, sometimes not, said, what are you going to say about Florida now? Well, I'm going to say good things about him now. I'm not sure what the interpretation I was supposed to have to those messages was. Was I supposed to know this was coming? Did you guys know this was coming? I don't think you did. So 
Um, basically, my strategy has been, let me be mildly critical of the recruiting effort at Florida until the recruiting effort at Florida turns a corner. Then I will praise the recruiting effort at the University of Florida. So now it's time to heap some praise on the recruiting effort at Florida. This is a big deal. They need to duplicate it. This does not need to be a one-month deal or a one-cycle deal. This should be an annual deal. Now, we can cross that bridge later because right now things have been good over the last week. And think about this. If you zoom it out just a little bit, if we were to rewind three months ago, and uh, I got the names in front of me here, you know, James Williams was thought to be a Georgia lean. That's a five-star athlete out of South Florida. He was thought to be a Georgia lean for a long time. I thought he was going to Georgia. Uh, Leonard Taylor was, he was down to Florida or Miami. So that was a guy that it was pretty widely thought was going to stay in state. But Jason Marshall, Alabama had a lot of smoke, trending very, very strongly, it looked like, for Jason Marshall, Corey Collier, all of these guys. My point is, if I were to tell you three months ago, hey, Taylor and Collier and Marshall and Williams, none of them are leaving the state of Florida. That is what would have shut me up. That is what would have taken a lot of those segments that we did on the state of the state of Florida, the Sunshine State recruiting, and I would have wadded it up and thrown it over my shoulder. Because this is how it should be. This is how it should be. If you're going to have success for the big three in the state of Florida, this is the way it should be. And if you're winning consistently, if you're contending for SEC Eastern Division Championships, you're going to New Year's Six Bowl games, you shouldn't have a problem pulling a whole lot of talent out of your own state. You certainly should not be finishing runner-up consistently to programs that come in from out of state. I don't care how noteworthy they may be. So, What's next? I don't know. You know, I was, I was hearing whispers and rumors, and there was smoke today about maybe another commit coming from Florida or for Florida. Listen, you never know. If Jason Marshall popped out of the blue, no one ever knows what's coming. But just if you go to that Swamp 24-7 message board, for example, isn't it nice for a change to log on there and actually be able to talk about legitimate, high-profile recruiting rumors? Isn't it nice, even if half of them don't pan out? To think that, again, we are in it now for big names. Oh, someone just decommitted from Ohio State? We're in it. And we just landed a five-star from South Florida? Good. What's going to happen? Next day, we get a four-star safety from South Florida? Hey, we're in it now. So we're in squarely in the top 10 of the team rankings. But also now, we are trafficking in some of the same rumors that Alabama fans traffic in and Clemson fans and Ohio State fans. This is what it's supposed to feel like when you're recruiting the way you're supposed to. So now you got to hit the repeat button and over and over and over again. So yes, praise is due for the Florida recruiting effort over the last week. To wrap it up, I'm going to go into the Late Kick inbox. Jaden sent us something on Twitter, and at uh, Late Kick Josh is where you can do that, by the way. And he asked kind of a version of a question a lot of people have been asking, and that is, how should they handle the college football playoff if it is to happen this year? So I'll answer it kind of like Kevin Warren dealt with Nebraska. I'm not going to beat around the bush about it. I'm going to say, as normal. That's how. Two words, period. As normal. Handle it as normal. I think the trick here is not to use August logic for a December question. What I mean there is this doesn't have to be decided now. It's not going to be decided now. Half the room, if not more than half the room, doesn't even think we're going to make this matter anyway because a lot of people think the season isn't going to get in. But the point is, if we end up having to worry about the answer to this question, that means that we have gotten a college football season in. So forget about the August logic. That's where we are right now. Let's pretend it's early December. 
Let's pretend that we're creeping ever so closer to conference championship games. And the ACC and the Big 12 and the ACC and who knows how many G5s could end up at this dance this year. They have actually gotten a season in. Well, if we get to that point, that means just that. Entire seasons have been able to have been gotten in. At that point, you got to think about how bad the Big Ten is going to look. You got to think about how negative the PR towards the Pac-12 is going to look. At that point, I don't think there's very much sympathy for the fact that those two voluntarily, not forced to, voluntarily postpone their seasons that, as it turns out, according to the evidence in front of us, and it's plentiful by this point in December, didn't need to be postponed. So at that point, I think the overwhelming sentiment will be, you choose from the folks who are at the table right now. And we got three of them who were bold enough to stand firm in what their medical advice was, their medical advice validated and verified, and they're here now. So if we got a couple from the SEC, if we got a couple from out there in the Big 12, the ACC, whoever we have, we're taking four of you, and we're going to have our college football playoff. And that's it. That's really the end. Sometimes we like to stretch these out a little bit because it's better for our SEO when we put the individual edit of the video up later. And this is kind of me stretching now, but that's how you do it. There were choices made. There are choices still to be made, but there are choices that have already been made by the Big Ten and the Pac-12, just as there will be very consequential choices made by the SEC, Pac-12, or Big 12, rather, and the ACC. The choices have consequences. This is part of it. If you make the choice, and hopefully a very informed decision, to have your seasons and someone else didn't, you're not going to get opportunities taken away from you. I don't care how many people write in newspaper columns, oh, this is going to have an asterisk next to it. Oh, this won't be a valid championship. Do you think it's valid? Because if you do, forget what anyone else says. And I can promise you, I can guarantee you, we don't do that very often, if these three conferences are able to get seasons in, uh, at least one man on this program is going to have no problem whatsoever sitting here at this desk and looking you in the eye and saying, whoever has confetti raining down on them in, uh, where is it at this year? That's how preoccupied I've been. I don't even know where the national championship is. Houston, maybe? Anyway, wherever it is, that's my champion. That'll be my champion. Now, you can play for the Big Ten title in the spring. You can play for the Pac-12 championship in the spring. If no one else wants to hold that championship as valid, I'll hold that playoff and that champion as valid. Uh, a valid show tonight, one that we have gotten through with relatively few, if any, hiccups. So, Colin, congratulations to me and you. I think um, this has been a really good night for us, and uh, by default, a good night for you too. A reminder, uh, you know, we spent a little bit of time on the goings-on in college football right now, but I didn't react a ton to the Big Ten I planned on doing it, and we made a decision about an hour ago. Forget that. That's, that's several days old. But if you are interested in what the broad takeaways were there, because we didn't have a show since that happened, you can download the Late Kick Extra podcast. I would suggest you do that anywhere. There's a lot of really good stuff there. You can find that wherever you get your podcast. We release it every Wednesday. And uh, really good stuff there this week. And I had an extended probably 20 to 25-minute period where I hit that whole situation from every angle possible also took several of your questions. That's the normal format of the Late Kick Extra podcast. Also, if you subscribe there, you get every one of these shows too in audio form. 
thus the name Late Kick Podcast. So uh, we'll be back here Sunday night. We have got a lot going on. We'll keep you as up to date as we possibly can. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. It's been about as active this past week as it ever has been. Uh, that's where a lot of information gets out to you if it's between shows, which most of the time it is because these shows are only like 40 minutes long. So until next time, take care. For Director Colin, I am Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe and God bless. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.